Why do people become sexologists? What do sexologists do and what are they like? Welcome to the podcast from one sexologist to another with your host, Sikatak the sexologist from Iceland. Hi, Emily. Welcome to From One Sexologist to Another. How are you today? Oh, Sigurd, it's so lovely to talk to you. It's been a, it's been a while and it's, it's lovely to hear your, your voice. Oh. I'm in good form. Thank you. I always love your Irish accent. It gets me every time. And I love your Icelandic accent. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, so you're in Ireland. That's, that's what we have established. You're in Dublin, right? That's right, yep. Okay. Yeah, in South County Dublin in Dunleary by the sea. Beautiful place. Oh, Dunleary just sounds magical. I just picture, <laughs> you know, little goblins and elves and pot of gold and I think that's more I think that's more Iceland, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice nice place today. The sun is shining, the skies are blue, so And we're it speaking couldn't, it couldn't look more beautiful. But we're speaking on a day that's that's been proven quite um controversial. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, very important day here in Ireland. Today is the day that we vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment. We're having a, a national referendum here um, to allow for the possibility of women to be able to choose to have an abortion. Um, really, it's not even. It's not even about. It's not even about the abortion part. It's really just about removing something from the amendment amendment that would allow us to begin to discuss legislation for for abortion so it isn't actually though it's being sold as and it's being debated as a, a, an abortion referendum i mean that is that is the the knock-on effect of it but mm. at the moment we have a law where it's only if women are in immediate their life is an immediate threat um from a medical issue or from suicide they're the only ways a woman can have an abortion and that's left to the doctors to to make a personal decision about. So women are literally dying here every year because they're being made to carry babies that are going, or fetuses that are, are unviable, that are already dead or that are going to die as soon as they're born. Really? Or they're being refused medication for cancer, for example, because it might damage the fetus. What? And then the, the mother dies, the baby will, die, will often die as well. The, the, the man is left without, or woman is left without their partner. Perhaps children are left without a mother, children already existing. So, and then there's all the, the people who have to travel then to the UK if they do choose to have an, have an abortion. They need to be rich enough to do that. It's not cheap. And they travel alone. And it's shameful. And it's, it's a secret. And it's, there's no support. There's absolutely no counselling. There's absolutely no counselling for them when they get to England either. And That's then horrific. Women who can't afford to, yeah, and then there's the women who can't afford to do that, who are buying illegal abortion pills online, and they're taking those without any medical supervision because they can't get any. I mean, women get arrested here for if they, you know, um, there's a 14-year jail sentence for a woman who has an abortion here. Um, so it's really serious, and there's, 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 you know, children, teenagers who get pregnant and they get their, their friends to punch them in the stomach till they miscarry, or there's a woman who oh drank God. bleach to miscarry, there's someone else who went out and scored heroin, uh, and never, never, ever, ever had used drugs before, but just so desperate to, to not have the pregnancy. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really big deal here, and then today is the day we've been, we've had this horrendous campaign for months with the no voters, the people who don't want the, the repeal. Um, posting posters that aren't factually correct of very well-formed babies 
um, and even babies that, that clearly would have been born, they're completely formed, um, you know, photoshopped into wombs and saying, this is what you're going to murder, you're going to murder babies. You know, it's just been horrendous. So they'd terrible rather places. have babies with terrible lives and people with terrible lives than yeah. actually improving the lives of people that already are here. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's their message really is let the babies have a lovely life and a right to life and, 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 and they can't, they don't really respond to what about, but these babies aren't wanted. What about people who've been raped or incest or abuse or, you know, or just people who aren't ready or feel, or feel capable to have a baby? What you think that it's just, if they have the baby, suddenly they're going to be great parents or, you know, our, our system isn't supportive of women who have babies. Um, anyway so yeah it's 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 been a real muddle really difficult because we're a very uneducated society and so the no campaign has confused a lot of people into thinking that it's a much different debate than it actually is it's really about allowing women to have autonomy and say over their own bodies that's really what it comes down to and trusting women um we've been sort of told that women are going to be you know lining up to have abortions on demand that's the expression abortion on demand but that, that's not the um, truth in any other country that has exactly e readily easily yeah. available abortion just like iceland and i he heard that iceland actually was dragged into this because of down syndrome they're also saying that all down syndrome babies will be aborted because people will be able to test for that and then choose Uh, so we're talking eugenics, aren't we, that they're going mm -hmm. to choose not to have their babies if they've got a problem. But of course, you can't even test for Down syndrome. We're talking about 12 weeks is going to be the cutoff if, if it goes ahead for okay. abortions, which is still quite young. You can't test for Downs at, at, um, up to 12 well, weeks. Yeah, you, do, you, do, you, you can't prop, you know, you will never know 100% if your child has Downs, but they, they will calculate the... Um, It's like a percentage that they're like, okay, this is the percent that it's likely to have this, this or that um, genetic default. So mm. um, here in Iceland, it's usually between week 12, uh, 11 or 13, where they will draw your mm -hmm. blood and do those kinds of testings if you want it. It's totally voluntary, though, and you have to pay for it here. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you, you don't have to pay for an abortion. Right. You'd have to pay for uh, who knows what will happen here, but mm -hmm. it's just uh, it's it's a very trying time. It's a very difficult, um, a very difficult time here to be a woman because it really it's really bringing up bringing forth a lot of the misogyny that is mm -hmm. is underlying a lot of our legislation and a lot of our social behaviors, a lot of our sexual behaviors mm -hmm. and expectations. You know, it's a, it's, um, we have a lot to learn and we could, we could do worse than look to Iceland for, for some guidance. Well, it just, it feels like I've been watching that show, um, called The Midwife. It's like one of my go-to UK shows when I need oh, a is. little bit of a British okay. accent in me. I don't know. It's something about having babies and then watching other people having babies. It's a weird time. But, um, there they were having these back alley abortions and I was just, I felt so badly for them. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm yeah. so glad where we are today and the freedom that women have today. But then you're telling me this is your reality. This is our reality. And it, it really does seem to come down to valuing the life of a fetus up to 12 weeks over the life of a living, breathing woman who has a life, who has connections, who has relationships, responsibilities, and possibly children. Um, it really, 
it comes down to people valuing the life of this 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 fetus who knows what will happen with it or to it um, over women and it also comes down to not trusting women this idea that women are getting pregnant on purpose so they can have abortions is pretty much the message we've we've been getting it's it's really been very offensive and another thing that's been really difficult is these posters they've had everywhere and they've then they've had guest speakers turning up um, who are anti-abortion turning up at um, talks for seven and eight-year-old children when they're having their first Holy Communion without any warning. And suddenly parents are finding themselves having to explain what abortion is to children that maybe they wouldn't tell them about that at the age of seven. I mean, these pictures are up on on every lamppost, horrible pictures of, of... of um that they're using and so people you know it's, it's been an assault on everybody's senses whether you're a no voter or a yes voter and it's been an assault on children there's no compassion in how it's been done it's been to very me, very if, difficult. Uh, actually abortions are quite compassionate towards children's lives because you need parents that would be able and willing to take care of said child if it were to come to pass mm. so it, it feels really backwards to me this feels like this feels like grown-ups making choices regardless of what the welfare of children it's a very it's a very immature approach really there's no follow-through it just goes as far as save babies lives we're murdering babies and then no thought for how they're going to how their lives are going to be if they are born uh, to a 14 year old who was raped or to i mean what sort of a life is that baby going to have or a baby that's that's kept alive and the mother dies to keep Mm -hmm. that baby alive and that child grows up knowing that and knowing that the mother wanted to live but wasn't allowed to live and let's be fair i mean irish uh, ireland doesn't have a great history in regards to children's homes or the how how they treated women who were thought to be you know not proper and their children were taken away and sold Sold it was just, it was, into slavery. Yeah, and just and sold into into adoption and, and all over the world. Mass graves. Yeah, it's know, we just... have mass graves here with little babies where they were just thrown into septic oh, tanks I and can't. from in mothers. I mean, just we have no right to be and they're the same crowd, they're the same people who are, are now campaigning for no abortion or for and no rights so, for is women. It, is it the Catholic Church that's really pushing this through? There's some of that. Actually, a lot of the funding for the No uh, campaign, as far as I know, has come from America, from the fundamentalist groups there. You know, Handmaiden's Tale is already happening there. Like, I get PTSD watching that show because I'm so scared of the States. It's really frightening, isn't it? Terrifying what's happening there. And, And I think what's really frightened me about Ireland is that there's so many people that seem to be coming out who would fit in so well there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Trump supporters. There's just no talking to them. They just talk absolute lies. Mm-hmm. And when you say that's a lie, they just move on to say the next lie. And they're just laughing at you, laughing in your face because they're, they're, it's almost madness. It feels almost like they're mad, mm-hmm. some of them, which is how it looks with the, the Trump supporters. But that's my personal political views. And to be honest, I have to also keep my you know, keep my distance a little bit because though I, I towards the end of this campaign, I've had to come out and really speak out uh, mm-hmm. in support of the yes vote. But otherwise I have to be careful because I am a, a, a therapist mm-hmm. and people who are going to vote no also need therapy. And mm-hmm. I don't want people to feel 
that they can't approach mm-hmm. me, though they will be, they will by now if they've been reading my Facebook and my Twitters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, I don't want people to, uh, everybody needs help, even people I don't agree with. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, politically. Tricky yeah. one. It's a tricky one, though. It, yeah, well, it is a tricky I actually, I've talked about abortion um, for probably like older teenagers from the, if, if they ask about it, if 13 year olds ask about it in class, I'll talk about it, but I won't talk about it unless I am asked. But uh, it often comes up with like 15, 16, 17 or 18 year olds. And then we go into it. And when you explain that it's actually not always like a surgery or anything like that, it can be done Mm. with these medications and stuff like that. You can just tell the sigh of relief. But the sigh of relief always Mm. comes from the girls, not from the guys. It's like it's like the semen appears from nowhere. It's like they're totally... It's it's not their thing. It's not like they're not involved at all. It's like, oh, yeah, this is your deal now because it's your body. Well, you left it there. Yeah. And do you have a thing happening in Iceland? We have we have it here happening. And it's a thing in Australia. It's called stealthing. Do you know? Do you have that? You might you, you'd have you'd have a different name for it, obviously. But it's where um, if uh, the female does insist and it probably happens with same-sex couples as well i'm not sure but this is i've been told about it with heterosexual couples that uh sexual couples not necessarily actually dating each other on on an ongoing way that if the woman female um, insists on a condom Mm. at the very last minute before penetration he whips it off and she doesn't know and he has unprotected sex with her so uh, totally against her will which is which is a sexual assault so that's mm-hmm. on the uh, on the rise in ireland along really? with what? this vote on whether women should be allowed to um be in control of their pregnancy i mean if that happens to a 17 year old 18 year old i mean you're doing really well in ireland if you can if you're a female and you can insist on using a condom because it is not our culture and it is still carries stigma and shame um, for women to carry condoms it's, it's, it's incredible to even say that and girls feel um, they find it difficult to put them to, to, to insist and then it doesn't matter anyway because these guys are just they're so they've so objectified the females they're with that they just they're just basically something for them to come in oh my and that's they're going to do and they don't care about their own their own sexual well-being either obviously diseases have to be passed on exactly so have to catch them but they're not caring oh it's yeah, totally so it's I, shocking yeah i was saying this to my supervisor who you know matt mm-hmm. and he said oh yeah that's called stealthing that's that's, that's the thing here too well, I'm happy to report that this is not uh, like a common thing in Iceland. This is not something that they've been talking about. And I've actually been criticized by some people for being the sexologist that's trying to ban intercourse. That's like a standing joke here. I'm the sexologist that bans intercourse because I'm so focused on um, the woman's pleasure and and taking intercourse out of the sex equation because I think it's way too highly focused on and that's how we get into all this heavy debate and discussion I'm trying to slow sex down to make it more pleasurable for women so women yeah. are applauding that and men. but men are yeah and men and men, and men. against against what they know or what they understand about themselves funnily enough men have all the same nerve endings in their skin mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. same ability to feel pleasure and sens- and to enjoy sensual touch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and absolutely i think i think once you do slow it down it's interesting that you do you you advocate that i that's what i would advocate as well um it's um i love to see when men 
suddenly realise that there's more to them than their erect penis, that no. actually they can enjoy their shoulders being touched or their bum being played with. It's not doesn't all have to be immediate you know, immediately about their penis. A lot of my work a lot of my work goes into telling women that they are not responsible or have to be responsive to an erect penis. It's not a call to action. It's not a like button. It's just a penis. Like calm the fuck yeah. down. You don't need to touch it. It's fine. It'll go down in a minute. It's not gonna, you know, kill the owner if it like I feel that women are sometimes so afraid of the penis. They're like, I don't want to awake the penis. It's like a sleeping dragon, and they're like, okay, its wrath will unfold if I if it's awake, awoken by me or something. And I'm also like, it's just a penis. It's just a penis. Talk to the penis owner. He knows that it the er- erection will pass. But there is a there is a if there isn't education, people mm-hmm. really do believe the old myth which tell us that it's almost a medical emergency for a man if he's uh, got an erection. Exactly. That he will explode or... Yeah. And then you have all these females. I find this more so with women than men men with men. I find this more so with women with men. That um, if if he doesn't have an erection or if he doesn't get it up... as fast as I'd liked it, or it's not always erect when they're around. They're like, am I not pretty enough? Are you not attracted to me? Yeah, it's personal, yeah. And you're always like, yeah. oh my it's God. It's all about the penis. It's the penis is, the, penis. The, is the, the symbol of success when it comes to sex. And it is, mm-hmm. you know, I w- it, it, it is, there's so much unlearning to do. It's interesting mm-hmm. that you have that work to do in Iceland as well. I think it's global because... Yeah. It is. Because of global patriarchy, because men have been the ones designing buildings, building them, the ones creating art, the ones, and everything is about phallic symbols. And mm. we're just so awash with it and always have been, mm-hmm. you know, the importance of the penis. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot, we have a lot to unlearn. And it's, it's, I mean, I've been that woman. I've been that woman where I've been in bed with somebody and thought, oh, is it me? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Because I didn't know any better. Exactly. But actually, no, 12 pints of beer yeah. affect most <laughs> erections, no matter how hot you are. You know, well, not even just 12 pints of beer. It's just I really wanted what, to watch what, te- Top Gear tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're, in, we're in Ireland, you know, um, so there's usually 12 pints of beer. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't stomach 12. In Iceland, that would be too expensive. You know, you would just be oh my sitting God, and doing a that. mortgage. Yeah, exactly. You would, actually. You would. <laughs> but I mean, I th- I, th- I found my true calling uh, delivering sex ed. I'm making myself coffee while I talk to you. Um, you, what? Tell us a little bit about your work. What you do? So I do lots of things. I'm I have a, a, a thriving private practice where I see individuals and couples. I haven't seen any polyamorous people who are in more than a couple so far. Oh, that's I'm really big here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to working with kinksters, mm-hmm. um, people with disabilities, people of all ages, people of all orientations and gender identification, which makes me possibly a bit different. Well, no, it does make me different from most other sex therapists um, so far in Ireland that I know of. I'm not, I'm not claiming how that many I know sex every, how everybody works. But I don't, I'm the only sexologist in Ireland. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah, there were... Uh, well, there's, what, three in Iceland, but you've got a much smaller population. Yeah, so so one of me, and then there are... When I 
was um, researching sexology and sex therapy before I trained. I ca- there were 25 sex therapists listed in Ireland at the time. Okay. I haven't checked what there is now, but I'm sure there are more. But none of them would have my training. And it right. does seem to be that I, the way I do things, and it, it really comes down to sex positivity. Mm-hmm. That's what seems to set me apart from, from a lot of people, is the idea that I won't judge mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. because of what they're doing or because of their age, ability, orientation, mm-hmm. race, mm-hmm. gender, religion. I will only work with something if it's a problem for them or if there isn't full consent, isn't safety and isn't pleasure. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm worried about. So that makes me different. So I get mm-hmm. to work with really interesting, all sorts of people. That, that's, that's my bread and butter. Okay. Um, and then I also train other professionals in how to be sex positive in their approach to their patients or clients, depending on who they are. So Don't I, you love I train. doing that? Don't you find I it love amazing? Doing that. I'm actually... Yeah, and I'm actually doing a lot of work with pelvic floor physiotherapists here. Oh, right. Okay. They've really, um, they've really accepted me, and um, they um, avail of training from me quite, you know, quite well. I, I work in a clinic uh, every second Monday. I work in a pelvic floor physio clinic as well, seeing oh, a couple of patients for them. Okay. So cause I just, it gets lonely, you know, being the only one. So that's the way I've found where I get to talk to some people, talk to other people and be, be sort of on the edge of a team. I wouldn't say I'm in the team, but I'm, 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 mm-hmm, I have a little mm-hmm. bit more social contact, which is good for me. But does, I teach uh, at third level. Okay. What's, what's that mean? In universities. Yeah. The third uh, level. But what does that mean? That's university level. Yeah. Okay. Level, you know, after. Yeah. Um, And I do public speaking and seminars for interest groups such as LBTGQI groups or um, menopausal women. I love talking to that group of women. Um, Mm -hmm. I do quite a bit with that. Um, I write a a column in a national newspaper once a week. Um, You know, I do different bits and pieces in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically... Any way that I can get the message out in Ireland that sex is normal and talking about it is healthy and doing it is natural. Any mm-hmm. opportunity I get, I'll take it. Perfect. I'm the same. I'm totally the same. Yeah. And I think it's really as much about how you present the topic and how mm-hmm. you talk about it and how comfortable you are with it. That's as important as what you're actually saying. Mm-hmm. So I get I get feedback around that that it's my level of comfort with the topic that mm-hmm. actually is is the most is the most different is the most different thing about me to compared to other people who talk about sex. I think that often sets that that's what I think the sexology degree really gave me, and I think that's what sets you apart in regards to when you're talking about sex. It's like yes, I have this in depth knowledge. That you people who have not trained in this field do not. It's a different way of, yeah. of looking at things and approaching various subjects, I think. Yes, we have the knowledge, but we can be stuffy and, and you know, academic about it, or we can still be. I mean, that's the thing. You can be a sexologist, as I know from experience. You can be a qualified sexologist and be sex negative or be very oh, um, right, judgmental right. or yeah. very, yeah. you know, negative towards all sorts of um, minority groups or sexual practices. I've, I've, I've met them. Um, 
So yeah, I guess you know, I just I just I guess I'm just thinking of our because um, we studied together. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of Gareth and the way that um, he used to talk. He was always like, okay, but let's look at this from another angle. And then and that yeah, that's something so, I learned from you as well. You're often on my shoulder. I have mm. a little Emily Emily beside me sitting there and in spirit. I I'm hope like, your shoulder isn't 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 too tired with me. I'm no, <laughs> it's not. You're so light in spirit. You know, so anyway, and I'm often like, okay, this is what Emily would have said. This is how she would have done it because I learned a lot from you as well. And you were always opening my eyes to um, seeing things from various perspectives, being mindful and respective of the person. So it's like I always have you with me and I'm like, okay, how could we approach this? How is this a part of a bigger problem? Let's look at it in the micro Mm. and the macro. And so, you know, I think also training as a sexologist we did learn a lot from our classmates as well or at least that was the case for me yeah I think so it was lovely actually to be submersed in a, in a group of people who were doing their best to learn how to be sex positive and mm-hmm. who were open and interested and curious about sex I mean we did you know we just all that we we just absorbed it didn't we we were breathing it we mm-hmm. were we were sweating sweating sexual information to, to anywhere we could while in <laughs> yes. Australia. We were just so full of it and so happy and so celebrating that we, we'd found a place where we could just really, really, really learn and mm-hmm. explore sexuality. Uh, it was such a such an amazingly nourishing for me in fact. Um, and we did. We met some incredible people and people who really have to work so hard in their own countries as we do to mm-hmm. try and um, make, a ch- make a change, make a difference. Do you have a lot of uh, like sexperts in Ireland? You know, the people who talk a lot about sex or write about sex or and I think they so are I'm experts. No, but they, they don't have any qualifications. They don't have yeah. any training yeah. and they're, you know, spewing out misinformation and sometimes sex negativity. Yeah. And I think there are... There are yes, there are. Um, I don't know if they would they would actually claim to be sex experts. I I don't know. I think things have changed a lot since in 2012. Um, I got a, a a position as a resident sexologist on a, a national radio show, and I was on once a month, and I did that for two years, I think. And um, nobody else was talking about sex the way I was. Nobody. It just oh, okay. wasn't happening. Right. But it is happening now. So you're getting you're getting sex therapists and relationship therapists and psychologists coming on the radio and other people who are absolutely not connected in any way to any sort of training talking about sex positivity, talking about mm-hmm. the right to pleasure, talking about um, a lot of the things that I would have brought up that have never I've never heard anyone say before. So I don't I don't know if that was because of me or whether it would have happened anyway around that same time. But I think people are perhaps realizing they don't know as much as they thought they did or that right. they make you hear a lot of people making assumptions which is is the really difficult part for me about gender roles or about mm-hmm. what sex is or about what sex should be mm-hmm. um so i think that is that is still happening a lot I oh i i definitely say that you you were a part of the dialogue that inspired those people and you know you probably broke through the glass ceiling that now it was okay to talk about this in in this kind of way you know 
I think so. I think I think I have played a part in it. I'll never know what part of it in it, and I hope it would have happened anyway. But so there are some people who are definitely talking and giving advice and about sex, and they're either just rehashing stuff that is you can find out, find anywhere, or they are giving misinformation, or they are being immature and doing going for the laugh, which mm-hmm, is very mm-hmm. common in Ireland. Yeah, and I there's, there's a guy. There's a guy here who was part of a marketing company or PR company. I did a I did a thing with Jurex a couple of years ago, and he was organising it. And he was lovely and so enthusiastic, lovely young guy, and he was just getting out of that business. But he started. He got a lot of uh, media coverage there recently, recently for starting in, on Instagram, giving bite-sized information about sex to young people. And his information was not, he's no training, he's absolutely no education beyond the same as anyone else. He's a gay man, so I think he claims a certain amount of, of knowledge or kudos from just from being a gay young guy. But um, I right. I, I've, read, I've read some of his stuff and I would be thinking he's very much skirting on the edge, skating on the edge of, of saying, giving misinformation. Because mm. he just, with the best will in the world, lovely guy, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to do a good thing. But I, I have my concerns about people who, who, mm-hmm. who put mm-hmm. themselves in a position of expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at some point, pretty quickly, they're going to hit a, a, a place where they don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. And either they're going to admit that or they're going to, they're going to fluff it. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I think he's a lovely person. I would have loved him to come to me and say, you know, I want to do this. I can connect with the young people. and You're too old now, which is totally true. So could I could I come to you and get a bit of if I get a question or I want to talk about something I'm not sure about? I'm really open to helping people in Ireland do a better job. But um, it feels sometimes like I've been I'm being competed with and it's totally not my bag. I've no interest in it, but I've. You know, it's not a friendly place a lot of the time for me here. Hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I get judged. I get, I get, I get ghosted. I, I don't know why. Um, there's another, you know. So there, there are, there are ways that people. I don't know what what it is. Why? Because they ghost you. That you never find out why. But there are some weird things going on. Um, I think maybe in Ireland there might be a, a, a competitiveness between women running small businesses or women trying to make it and make a go of it and they somehow have adopted the the, the more masculine approach which is winning over each other rather than helping each other which is a pity because the feminine power I think is more about let's you know there's plenty of room let's work together yeah support each other um so I think it's it's a bit it's a it's it's disappointed me that it seems to not be that Mm -hmm. uh working that way here but I guess that's probably everywhere as well I also get lots of support and lots of help and lots of thanks from other people. So mm-hmm. it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. How about in Iceland? Do you get do you get that as well? Do you find that? Um, well, yeah, I'm all about collaboration, and I'm always trying to get people to work together and to bring together just like various projects or specialists. And I'm always op- open to working together. But I, I do find what I, you are saying. It, it's true here as well. It's like, no, I'm going to do my thing. And people are worried about not getting credit. They're worried. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're like, hey, 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 I did this. I, I want to get my name up there or I want to be credited for this, this and that. And I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, it's not it's not really my thing, you know. Sure, I'd like credit when credit is due, but I'd like to see things get done. 
That's more my thing. Yeah. I want to be a power of change. And if my name comes up, that's fine. But if it doesn't, that's fine as well. I just want something to happen and something positive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and help each other. You know, I, I, if, if I, I, you know, if I see somebody doing a really trying to do a really good job and they're really, and they're, they're sex positive and they're trying to make a difference, I want to help them. I don't give a shit. I just want to help. But it seems that that isn't, um, just doesn't seem to be the culture here so much. But, you know, who knows? That's maybe it's change. like, maybe it's like island syndrome or something. Maybe it is. I don't know. I think it's more that sort of hard-nosed corporate uh, Western approach that women have to outman men in order mm. to succeed in the world, which is such a shame because you have these amazing women around the world who really are highly successful who just don't do that. Sandy, uh, Cindy Gallup is a good, good example of a woman who has remained a woman mm-hmm. and is massively, you know, she's very sex positive. She, I don't know if you know her. She talks yeah, about... Um, yeah, so, you know, she's, she's clearly very dynamic and tough and able to, to hold her own. But she also supports women and encourages them and mentors them. And Well, I, I, fe- I feel it's changing a little bit here with the younger generation of women. They are really open to collab- collaborations. And okay. yeah, especially, yeah, it's like a generation after me. They, they, I think there's a real power there and they're open to doing anything and everything. And they're like, yep, let's go. Let's just do it. But Oh, fantastic. I find the, the, yeah. worst, the worst people here are the, the, the women a generation younger than me for, being, for, being, for not being like that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's there's a cultural difference. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's where I've experienced it. Most women would be at least one generation younger than me, maybe two. Because mm. um, uh, I'm 47 now. I'm an old, an old person now. Um, I'm a geriatric. Oh medically. my god! I'm a, I'm, a geri- really? I'm a geriatric medically. I thought that was well, in the 60s. Um, pre- if, uh, as far as pregnancies go. Once you hit 35 in Ireland, if you get pregnant from 35 on, it's called a geriatric oh pregnancy. Oh, my God. It's, pr- it's so probably, insulting. It's probably called that as well here. I just, I wouldn't know. I'm done having babies, so I haven't really looked into it. But they do say, yeah, it's an older, yeah, I think they do say so as well. I, I, I don't think they use the, the it's word. It's a highly offensive term. <laughs> it's weird, though. But 47, you'll always be 30 to me. I mean, I know to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it weird that your body ages, but your mind does it? I can't honestly say that my mind isn't aging. I'm perimenopausal now. So I am definitely hitting all sorts of unusual things with my mm. body and with my mind and my ability oh, okay. to mem- remember in particular, my, my ability to speak is probably the most affected. My ability to remember really simple words you know, just completely lose, lose, I lose them. And uh, that's, that's tricky. It's that's, not the corners off you. That's probably hormonal because that's what happens yeah. during pregnancy and yeah. during breastfeeding. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, and that's, it's strange. During breastfeeding, you'd have a, a, a real dip in estrogen. And so I could be having that. You see, with, as you know, with perimenopause, it's a roller coaster. You mm-hmm. get dips and you mm-hmm. also get highs and, and, you know, extra gushes of different hormones at different times mm-hmm. which is why they don't tend to give you HRT until that's kind of settled out a bit but um, definitely I'm going through that I mean I, I have I am, I am I am finding myself 
feeling rage that I have never known um, just for the most, just now it'll just come and it'll be there for like an hour and then it's gone. But during that time, I am seriously, (laughs) I am seriously abusive to pigeons. There are (laughs) pigeons in my garden and they get it. They get get the abuse from me. Are you just screaming at pigeons? In the garden. Yeah, like a crazy lady. And then I suddenly, the other day I found myself in the garden waving a plastic lid above my head at pigeons. I didn't even want them to fly in the air above my garden. And I found myself in the garden doing that before I knew I was doing it in rage. And I just actually burst out laughing because it's just energy. I think it's just energy needing right. to be released. Right, right, right. In my case, it was, it was anger. But then once I realized what I was doing, I just started laughing <laughs> at myself. It was so ridiculous. And I went back in the house um, but bit the head off my partner and then went to the bathroom and had a really big cry. Oh, my God. And then I was absolutely normal again. So weird. Because then you have to pick up the pieces because you've, you've been really angry to someone for no reason. I wasn't angry with him. I wasn't angry at all. Just was angry generally. But he was in, the, in, the, in my, my line of fire at the time. Oh, my God. It's so, so yeah, hard to be a woman. That's a whole thing, having to cope with that and your body changing and, you know, different different things happening. So it is not easy being a woman in many ways, mm. but, that's, but certainly hormonally, it's, it's an interesting time. You have that ahead of you, sick of dog. Uh, yes, thank you. Well, I could have been thrusted into early menopause last year, but I wasn't. I managed to save my whole bits. But uh, that, oh. was, yeah, that was one of the things that did come up. And I was like, wow, it would have been really weird to be 35 and like menopausal. menopausal. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, it'll happen. And I'll go through the change of life and I'll probably be, you know, doing a stand up about it or, or something like that. I've spoken once to I mean, a group of, of uh, menopausal women that just wanted me in particular to talk about the change of life. And that's when we... Spent a lot of the time talking about the limp dick. What do you do with a limp dick? And I just thought that was hilarious. We just, that was, you know, <laughs> that was their change of life and they just needed something else to talk about. And that was, I don't know. <laughs> I went to. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. a really, it's, it's an amazing thing how we are given absolutely no education about menopause and it's something that all women are mm-hmm. going to face. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it is not, women face into menopause in Ireland completely blind. Usually the first thing, the first time they learn anything about menopause is when they're perimenopausal and they're going through extreme symptoms and they've been going through them for a while and they just can't cope anymore and they go to their GP and they get a 10-minute appointment with their GP who throws Prozac at them or, um, you know, some other medication to help them with their moods or their depression or their anxiety, whatever they're feeling. And still no education, no understanding. So there's a shame, there's a silence about it. It's, it's still something we, we kind of, women don't want to talk about because it's like somehow represents some kind of an inadequacy in them that they've got mm. reached this stage. It's, it's, a, it's fascinating to me. If men had menopause, we'd have courses on it. Right, you know, exactly. It would be, it would be absolutely, um, you know, you'd have time off, you'd get medical care for it and all it's just again for me another sign of of patriarchy and um Mm -hmm. I'm not really one for going on about that kind of thing just with the way things are in Ireland at the moment I it is it is it is just so obvious to me that we have so so much to learn in regards to equality really Mm -hmm. 
And, yeah. and how we don't teach our, our women, our children, our girls and boys about women's bodies and women's sexuality and women's, in those phases of life. The fact that nobody's taught about it is just, it's just another obvious sign of that. How are queer, queer matters in your country? So LGBTQIA, etc. They are, um, we got gay marriage here a couple of years ago and everyone's delighted, those who voted yes were delighted Mm -hmm. and it it is brilliant. To me it feels very much like um, we got that despite living in a culture of homophobia. So um, Mm. I don't think homophobia has changed massively. I think legally gay people are allowed to marry, but I don't think that actually changed the minds of a lot of right. people or or of legislators or of so as far as I know, there's not a lot of support here. Um certainly okay. trans people don't have a lot of support at all. Queer people it's all still very um it has we haven't even begun really just barely talking about gay people um haven't really begun acknowledging or giving a voice to to other minorities um mm. but they're here and they're doing their best to support each other and to and to survive i've just been asked actually to give a talk i'm delighted i'm so excited to be giving a talk in september to a group of deaf lbgtq um women mainly bisexual deaf women so i'm really excited about wow, that yeah um, Because, you know, bisexual, I'm a bisexual woman and bisexual people tend to be, they can be kind of ostracized by <clears> gay <throat> people <throat> and straight people. They're kind of, we're considered the confused bunch, the ones who haven't really just admitted we're one or the other. And it can be quite isolating. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I get to give, give thoughts from amazing women. Actually, the, 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 those groups have really, really been incredible through this this referendum campaign um the no voters went out and put they stood outside a maternity hospital with these horrible posters and so there were people walking in learning that their babies had fatal fetal syndrome and weren't going to survive walking in there and having to come to that horrible decision that they would need they would want to Mm -hmm. have the have an so that she's not carrying a pregnancy and having people say, oh, when's it due? Have you got the nursery ready? And she knows her baby isn't going to live. Those couples that were having, were being bombarded with these images, along with every other couple and anyone else going in there. And, and so there's been amazing LGBTQ groups going around and sticking really nice pictures or flags in front of those to protect people's eyes, you know, as they walk past. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've they've become more visible, I think, during okay. this campaign, really accepted and really thanked. And people are really grateful to, the, to them for their heart. And of course, they go, they need abortions as well. And people, they love need oh, abortions yeah. as well. Um, yeah, still a lot of gay bashing here. Still very difficult, I would think, for, uh, for a lot of people. Okay. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's, yeah, we're, we're, It's a slow process, but we are definitely, there are a lot of people here who are ready to hear correct information and to move away from um, religious, moralistic bullshit, you know, which is wonderful. I think we are going to move, we are moving in the right direction. Okay, that's, well, that's good to hear. But um, yeah, how is pride in your country? Um, yeah, I mean, good. 
good. We have our pride marches and they're really... Do a lot of people show pride up? Weekends. Yeah, they do. Yeah, there's a lot of support, I think, um, and a lot of joy. Um, it's, you know, I think, I don't know, but I don't know a lot about what it's like in other countries, but it, it seems to me that it's the one time where they almost get a pass, a get out of pass, a get out of jail card, you know, where they can almost just really celebrate and be, maybe because there are such numbers um, um, that they can really just have, have a, a march and have some time where they can really be themselves and mm-hmm. celebrate themselves and be celebrated. Um, so we do have that and it is, it is joyous. And, uh, but do families like bring their children? Is it like a family affair or is it like more queer community and then maybe just some allies? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's more that. Mm, okay. So far, yeah. Mm-hmm. But some of the allies, of course, because a lot of gay people have families mm-hmm. and queer people have Yeah, but we had, um, the, we had the debate here because it's a, it's a huge family affair here. It's like, you know, one third of the country will turn up for the Pride um, March. And people bring their kids, whether they're allies or not, really. It's just like, oh, Pride is here. Woohoo. It's so much fun. But then um, they were criticized one year for being too political and even too sexual because the BDSM um, club, or B- not, B- not club, BDSM organization is now a part of uh, the queer organization here in Iceland. And mm. uh, then people were saying, like, why are you bringing sex into this? And this shouldn't be about sex. And then there were a lot of saying, like, there ch- will be children there. And and then the queer community was saying, like, this is not for you. This is for us. You are supporting yeah. us. We're not entertainment for you. So then we had to have this whole debate. And they had these, um like, uh, lollies, like, uh, long lollies that I guess somebody felt was quite were quite phallic. So on our national day, they weren't phallic, but on pride they were phallic like the same lollies you know all of a sudden they were sexual because it was pride (laughs) and people are going like okay people we need to have this talk about pink washing and we need to have this talk about what this is really about and and um but also that's really interesting Sigurd because that's something that there's an amazing person here called Panty Bliss and she's a drag queen and so she owns a bar called the Panty Bar and so the Panty is a, is the is the the um, drag name of of this wonderful gay man who um, advocates massively for for the rights of LGBTQ mm. people and um, he gave a wonderful um, TED talk as Panty Bliss talking about life as a gay man in Ireland and and how society still um, reduces all gay men to one one sexual act. And that's what that sounds like that you're talking about. Why does it matter if a if a if a, a lolly looks phallic, unless right. you're imagining immediately that imagining debauched gay anal sex? Like, why does it matter? It's a yeah. it's a fucking lolly. It's a penis. Why does that even? It's what we immediately jump to. That's the sex negativity. It's that we immediately jump to the sexual act, and we imagine that they all are doing that all the time, rampantly, as if there's anything wrong with it in the first place. But that's just so not true anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so demeaning for people. Yep, it is. It totally is. And it, it and also, but just sexualizing anything and everything in certain contexts. You're like, oh my god, you know, you have sex on the brain, not other people. Like, how, why do you see yeah. something as sexualized everywhere you go? That's really strange to me. Me too. But it's only sexualized. Seems to only be sexualized if it's what they aren't comfortable with. 
Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's always on it's there. Very, yeah. yeah. Sorry for the abrupt ending, but Emily had to jet. She had an appointment and some clients waiting. So I think because we had so much to chat about, I'm going to have to do episode one, two, three, or maybe four. Like I do five parts or something of this episode to continue my chat with Emily Powersmith, a sexologist from Ireland. for listening to this week's episode of From One Sexologist to Another. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can contact me on my website, sigadak.com. That's S-I-G-G-A-D-O-G-G dot com.